So many of you would have been invited to a product presentation party by a friend. And um, various companies would have sold their wares to different customers, and then they would tell these customers, you know, invite your friends, invite your family to this non-threatening environment being your living room. And so you would bring all these products to your friends, you sell it to them, and if they buy, you will get a commission. And not only that, should you desire to buy more products from this company, you who's invited the people, you would get a significant discount. So this is obviously to an advantage for you, but also it kind of helps the company sell their products. It's a non-threatening environment. It's awesome. So I was invited to one of these things by a friend of mine. And uh, the product being sold was uh, cooking pots and pans and things like this. And my buddy said, hey, you know what? Come, it'll be a free dinner, you know, like a dinner you didn't make. And I was like, I would make dinner. Awesome. I'm all over there. Tomorrow, let's go. So my wife and I, we jump into our vehicle. We get to a friend's house. We walk in. Now, I assumed it was probably me and maybe a couple other people there. Actually, no, it was a whole crowd of people who were in this house, people whom I didn't know. Okay, now I'm a little bit of a shy person. I know that might come as a surprise. I'm quite shy. Anyway, so there I was. My wife, myself, and my friends, and everybody else, I didn't know who they were. So here we are, and the, the guy who was uh, the rep from the company was there with his pots and pans, and he was selling these things, and I'm wondering, when is the dinner going to be on the table? Because I'm kind of hungry. Well, it so happened that this guy who was doing the um, promotional things, selling, telling us all about this cookware, um, he was going to make the dinner for us. Okay, fine, that's okay. So he began making the dinner, explaining how if you make your carrots on this pot, they'll taste better than if you made your carrots on a Teflon pot. And so he explains this and explains that and so on, and he gives this promise to say, you know, I promise you, if you do this, you'll be healthier and so on. And so I'm thinking, okay, so what's the plan here? Like, how, how, how does this all work? And so he's explaining, he's doing the carrots, he's doing the rice, he's doing the chicken on this thing. It's smelling all good, but it's not a whole lot of food because I'm thinking, man, we'll just have kind of like a mouthful and that's it for dinner. Oh, dear. And I'm thinking, honey, we'll probably have to stop by McDonald's on our way home. So anyway... So after this whole entire presentation, you're pressured to spend a couple thousand dollars to buy this whole set because it will change your life. You see, the, the, the um, motivation for the salesperson is to make money. They want to sell their, their, their wares to you. They want to make a profit. And so they will invite you, they'll have a promise, they'll have a plan, you know, this is how you're gonna pay for this thing, and then they'll talk to you about the future. The future being, you will, be a, you will be healthier. You and your family will be healthier if you bought these stainless steel pans because those Teflon ones are killing you. And so you kind of look like a jerk if you don't spend 1,500 bucks on these on this pots and pans. And so, of course, my wife and I were kind of looking at each other. We're like, oh, we don't have 1,500. We, we, we came for a free dinner. We did not come to to spend $1,500 on pots. You see, in Isaiah 55, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, but he's kind of using like a vendor's voice, and he's selling something. We will see how God is inviting people to buy stuff without money. We will see that he will also give a promise, a promise of a full pardon, a promise of mercy, for all those who would come. Not only that, we'll see a plan that God would outline. So how will all these things work? 
And then finally, God is also going to talk about um, the future. He will describe the future for those who would come and buy without money. And so those are the four points that we'll be walking through today. We'll see an invitation, a promise, a plan, and a future out of Isaiah 55. So let's jump in and see what the passage says. So here's the invitation. Now, in Africa, if you travel to any third world country in Africa or some in Asia, South America, one of the things that you will notice is there's a lot of open air markets. And you'll have all sorts of vendors who are selling their product and their wares in these markets. And so as you're weaving your way through, maybe you want to buy a souvenir. Maybe you want to, to buy some vegetables or some fresh fruit on these uh, open air markets. As you're walking through the various stalls, you will see the vendors kind of like yelling the price of the, the tomatoes or the oranges, the avocados. They'll say, hey, you know, avocados for this much, tomatoes for this much, or if, if, if it's uh, uh, souvenirs, they'll be telling you, oh, these, these souvenirs, you can come, come. And particularly when they notice that you're a tourist and, and they have all these necklaces and all these uh, little carvings and things like that, they'll be calling you like nice, beautiful, leather bags. They'll be calling you saying, hey, come, 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 I'll give you a good price. And maybe the other vendors there with the same products. But this particular guy will be telling you how his products are better than the other person. And the other person is saying the same, trying to call you to invite you to come into their stall so that they may sell you their wares. And maybe you'd be, you'd be walking through where they're making some food. And so there'll be soups and all sorts of grilled meats and things like this, samosas. And they'll, they'll all be yelling at you saying, come and taste my soup. Come and buy my samosa. Why? It's better than the other one, is what they will be saying to you. See, in Isaiah's time, in the prophet Isaiah's time, there were various vendors who were selling their wares in similar fashion. And so it is interesting that the Lord would then choose to use this kind of image to extend an invitation. And so um, Isaiah 55, the entire psalm is basically an invitation to all sorts of people to come and buy something that the Lord is selling. So Isaiah 55, verse 1 to 3, this invitation, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich foods. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now, that's a rather odd invitation, isn't it? Right? It's odd. Odd that God would be calling, God through Isaiah would be calling people saying, hey, come, come and buy. Come and buy and eat, even if you don't have money. Those who don't have money, come buy and eat. Come and buy wine. Come and buy milk without money and without price. So it's kind of, okay, so what is being sold here? What is God trying to sell? What is this thing that you ought to buy without money? So let me give an image. 
So let's say you're in your vehicle and it's a, a rainy, cold morning and you're going to work and you're kind of feeling like, hey, you know, you woke up late, you have to shower real quick, throw on some, some clothes and off you go to work and you're like, I need a coffee. So you see a Starbucks or a Tim Hortons and so you line up and you're going through and you come to this thing and you give your order, you'd like a French vanilla or a black coffee, whatever it is you want. And by the time you get to the till, to the window there, the, the, the kind lady or gentleman who's kind of like taking, taking your payment and giving you your coffee kind of tells you, you know, don't worry about it. The car in front of you paid for your coffee. And so for you, all of a sudden, it turns out to be a very good morning because you didn't expect this coffee to be purchased for you. So in other words, you were there to buy, but you bought without money. Someone else paid the price for you. So when God is saying here, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. What is, what is on sale here? What is God trying to sell? Well, the gospel is what's on sale. The gospel is what's on offer here. And the Lord is inviting all people He's inviting everyone to come and buy and eat. That's why in verse 3, he will say, incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. What is he trying to sell there? And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast and sure love for David. See, it's the gospel that is on offer here. Now, why would, the, why would the Lord offer the gospel? You may ask. Why is he selling this gospel? You see, you'll find the answer in verse 2 where he will say, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? In other words, why do you spend all your resources and your things on stuff that will not satisfy like money? Spend all your energy pursuing money and yet it will not satisfy. When you make a million, you're not satisfied with it. You want to make another one and another one after that and it doesn't stop and the vicious cycle continues. Or sex. Or power. Or beauty. All these are idols, aren't they? Why do we spend our resources on idols seeking joy, affirmation, peace, happiness. And yet, the joy we are seeking, the affirmation we are seeking, the peace we are seeking, the happiness we are seeking, we will not find. All these things, money, sex, power, beauty, and many other idols that we pursue will never satisfy is basically what the Lord is saying here. They won't satisfy. Why are you spending your money for that which is not bread? That'll satisfy. Or your labor for that which does not satisfy. Now the vendor continues calling. Look at Isaiah 55, 6 to 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
return to the Lord is what Isaiah is saying. So there is this invite, come, you who do not have money, come and buy and eat. Come, he will say, buy wine and milk, things that will nourish you without money and without price. Seek the Lord when he may be found is what the vendor is calling now. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's still near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion. See, it doesn't matter what you've done. It does not matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the state of your sin and the crazy things and the wicked things that you have pursued and how filthy you may be. Why? Return to our God for he will abundantly, abundantly, verse 7, pardon you. He will abundantly pardon you. Come as you are. See, many people assume that, you know, I need to go and have my life all sorted. I need to clean myself up. I need to clean my act. I need to abandon those things. I need to come to the straight and narrow first before I come to God. I have to clean myself. It's almost like if you were going to present yourself before a a, a dignitary, if you're going to present yourself before someone who has significant authority, who could change the course of your life, what would you do? Would you wake up and just look shabby, unshaved, your hair not done and show up to this person? No, you want to straighten up a little bit before you show up to this person. So a lot of people assume that with God, you need to clean your act up first before you come to him. And God is saying, ah, just come as you are. Filthy rags and all. And this is what I will do. I will trade your filthy rag with my righteousness. See, that is why Paul would say in Romans, Christ is our righteousness. Why? Because Christ gives us, gives us his white shirt and he takes our filthy rag. He will cleanse you from top to bottom. Come as you are is the invite. Come as you are. So how does one forsake his way and his unrighteous thoughts? How does one return to the Lord? How do you do this while well, you believe the gospel? And what is the gospel? Well, God created all things. The earth, the sky, everything we see God created, but then man rebelled. He created, and created us in his own image and in his own likeness, hoping, desiring that we would be in close fellowship with him. But what did man do? We decided to rebel. That's why you don't teach a little child to lie. You don't teach a little child to, 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 to steal or to fight or to be vindictive or to be hateful. But they just are. There is a sinful nature in us. God created man rebelled. But Christ came to redeem. Because what do you do with rebels? You judge. So what did Christ come to do? He came to pay the price for our rebellion. He came to take our place. We were supposed to be totally judged and cast out from the presence of God forever because of our wickedness and sins. And yet Christ came to meet God's righteous demands. And he paid the price. He stood in your place and mine. Christ redeems. And then finally Christ will restore. When God will come back again, Christ comes back again. He'll make all things new. And that's basically the gospel. God created, man rebelled. Christ redeems and Christ will recreate or he will restore all things. All the pain, all the misery, 
all the tears, all done. And we'll spend eternity with him. And therefore, when you believe the gospel, then you begin to live in light of it. That is why we give our time, our talents, our treasures. We give, why? Because Christ gave us himself. We forgive, why? Because Christ forgave us. We serve because Christ served us. We would be willing to die for the cause of the gospel. Why? Because Christ was willing to die for you. So how then do you forsake your way and your unrighteous thoughts? How do you return to the Lord? Well, you believe the gospel. You come and you repent before the Lord. And then you live in light of the gospel truth where we give, we forgive, we serve, and we're willing to die. So that's the invitation. Come, come, come and buy with no money. Come and buy milk and wine. Come. And you'll receive salvation. So what is the promise? What is the promise for those who come? See, it's like the story I was telling you guys earlier. My friend invited me to this party. And he promised, oh, there will be a dinner. And then there will be this presentation that will change your life. So then the question becomes, okay, so what's the promise of this when I come and say yes, when God is calling me? What's the promise here? Isaiah 55, verse 2 to 5. This is what it says again. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich foods. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I'll make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call the nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Now, I'll explain this passage in just a bit here, but first, you will notice that those who come, those who have said, yes, the vendor is calling, God is calling, inviting people, come, come, come. Now, those who come will not only eat what is good and delight themselves in rich food. God actually promises them something, that God will make an everlasting covenant with them. And he will lavish on, on them his steadfast and sure love for David. So then the question becomes, what is this covenant? that God will establish with this people? And what is this steadfast, sure love for David that he's talking about here? Now, if you go to 2 Samuel, verse, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, God will promise King David, God will promise David that his seed or his descendant will reign on the throne forever. This is the promise that God gives David, the covenant, if you will, that God makes with David, telling him, your seed, your son, will reign on your throne forever. So now the question then becomes, who is that descendant of David? Who is this king who will sit on David's throne and reign forever? Of course, the answer is simple, right? We know that Jesus Christ, the root of David, the son of David, 
He is the king being talked about here. And so many scholars believe that verse 4 and 5 are talking about David's heir. And who's David's heir? Christ. And all the nations will come to him. Look at verse 4 again. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples. Who's the him there? Christ. A leader and commander of the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. See, God speaking to Christ. You shall call a nation that you do not know. It's not that Jesus doesn't know that nation. It's other words, he does not have relations with that nation. That nation, they are not his people. So you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall come, shall run to you. Why? Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel. Why? For he has glorified you. Who has glorified Christ? Isn't it God the Father? So Christ right here, he is the center of the story in verse 4, 5. And what is, what, what is Isaiah pointing to here? He's basically saying that Jesus Christ himself, he's the one who will purchase the price for the redemption. That the vendor is calling, hey, come, 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 come and eat without price. Okay, who paid? Christ is the vehicle ahead of you paying for your coffee. Paying for your redemption. So you come to the till and you're looking for salvation, it's given to you for free. Why? Because the one who went ahead of you paid the bill for you. It is this Christ, this son of David, who purchased the redemption that is on offer here. And that is why, look at verse 7 to 9, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon, verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the promise here is this, when this wicked person forsakes his way and the unrighteous person forsakes his thoughts and they return to the Lord, they will find what? Compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. They'll find compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. They will find compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. Question. Are you one of those people whom Isaiah is asking this question? Are you one of those who Isaiah will say, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thought? Is that you? Is that you? See if it is, the Lord through Isaiah will say, let him return. Let him return to the Lord that he may have, that the Lord may have compassion on him and to our God. Return to our God for you will find, for he will find pardon and not just but abundant. It doesn't matter what you have done. So I have the privilege of meeting a pastor in Uganda. And this pastor 
shared his testimony. One, one of the things that I love whenever I travel to, on missions and visiting different people, different Christians in other parts of the world, uh, I just enjoy listening to their testimonies, listening to their story. How did Christ save you? So this pastor said that he was an alcoholic years ago and he would drink himself stupid. He'd go to the pub, totally get inebriated, and then begin to stagger his way home. And if he fell on the floor, the ground, he would just wallow in the dirt, in the mud, whatever, and he would lay there until he would sober up. And so if he went to to the pub at 8 p.m., he would drink himself silly until midnight. And then he would be staggering home, he would fall down, he would lay there until four in the morning three or four in the morning, and then he will come to once he's sobered up a little bit and he would wake up and he notice that he is half naked and he'd be crying and he loathed himself for the fact that he was doing these things. And so he said one day he woke up, again, from his drunken stupor, he woke up and he just cried out loud and said, Lord, why, why, why do I keep doing this? Save me, he says. And then after just so depressed, so naked he was. He's going back home totally embarrassed, totally ashamed because the neighbors who are waking up early would see him staggering and they know, yeah, this is the village drunk, the village idiot. There was a Christian brother who put his arm around this man and he shared the gospel with him. And this guy said, you know, I, I, need to, I need to sort myself out. I need to get rid of the, body for, uh, the, the bottle first, and then I'll come to the Lord. And the Christian was like, no, 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 you come as you are. Come as you are. And so this man, without a shirt, barely with pants on, gave his life to Christ. He surrendered himself to the Lord with nothing but shame and wickedness all over him. But he heard the vendor calling, come. This man came and he made his peace with God. And what did he find? He found mercy. What did he find? He found grace. What did he find? Compassion. Come, come. Repent, and you will find mercy. You will find forgiveness, regardless of what you would have done. So there's an invitation. Come and see a promise. When you come and repent, you will find mercy. So there's an invitation. There's a promise. But how does it all work? How does it all work? What's the plan? Verse 10 and 11, Isaiah 55. For us the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it uh, bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, This verse here is one of the reasons why we do church planting, both here in Canada and around the world. This verse right here 
is one of the reasons why we evangelize and we encourage people, go and evangelize. This verse here is one of the reasons why we want to send as many missionaries around the world to proclaim Jesus. Why? Because God is going to say, God is saying here through the, 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 the mouth of Isaiah that um, just as the rain and the snow fall from heaven to the earth and does not return, but it waters the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty. The word of God will not return empty. It will accomplish that which I purposed and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Here's the example. Isaiah is speaking to an agrarian culture. These are people who dependent of, they, they, they were totally dependent on their farms. And so they would go and they would um, plow their land and they would plant their seed and they would pray and hope for rain. And when the rains came, all the farmers knew that there would be a good harvest that year and there'll be enough food for, for the entire season or two. And so they were very excited. The rains have come, watered the land, the plants will grow. But when there's no rain, when the rains don't come, long faces, worried eyes, because they know they're staring literally at starvation. And they know that it will be a hard season ahead, a hard winter season, where are we going to get food? And who knows, if you have infants, they might die. If you have animals, they might die of starvation because the rains didn't come. The rains don't come two, three seasons, yeah. People are dying of starvation. And the Lord is saying, when the rains come, it will produce stuff. It doesn't come empty. And the Lord is saying, his word is the same way, like rain. His word that comes out of his mouth will not come back empty. So the strategy here, the plan is his word, when it's proclaimed, people will come. When the invitation goes out, all people will come. People will come. So I'll give you an example. So this story of this pastor I told you in Uganda who I met, uh, the drunk who became a Christian. Well, he was discipled. And as he was being discipled, he was married, four kids, being discipled. The Lord began tugging on his heart, saying, you know what? I want you to plant a church. I want you to plant a church. And so he's wondering, okay, Lord, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Where, do you, where would you want me to plant this church? And so his heart was drawn to this particular community where some atrocities were happening there. They had a shaman, a witch doctor in this particular community. And this witch doctor was slaughtering infants every week. Every single week. An infant would die in this particular village. Why? It was an offering, a sacrifice to the gods. And so, of course, this pastor knows these people in the community. They know this is what's going on over there. And so they're like, oh, my, oh, my. This pastor is saying, you know, these people need the gospel. What they're doing is wicked and sinful. So the pastor decides, okay, I'm going to go and I will uh, preach the gospel here. But how do I begin? There are no Christians there. Okay, so in Africa, when church planting, basically you go to a specific community, you set up a tent, you invite people to come, you feed them a little bit, you preach the gospel. Those who become Christians, you start a church with them. So this is the plan. It'll be just a big old tent meeting. 
and he'll preach the gospel and whoever becomes a Christian, because the word when he goes out does not come back empty. When he preaches, people come to Jesus, he'll start a church. So he decided a month and a half from now, that's when I will start this church. Okay? So about a month to the tent meeting day, he has four daughters. So one evening he tucks his girls to bed and then him and his wife go to bed. The next morning, the youngest daughter was stiff. She was dead. Just like that. She didn't wake up. So, of course, it was difficult for the family. Sorrow, trying to figure out what happened. Did she eat something? Was she sick? What was going on? But now she's dead. So they do the memorial service. They do the burial. It's difficult. They're mourning the loss. But then he knows, okay, within a month, we're still going to proceed and do this tent meeting. A week to, about a week and a half to the tent meeting day. Again, the evening, he's tucking out his three daughters to sleep. Next morning, the eldest daughter is dead. Same thing that happened with the younger one. And now people within the community are like, huh, dude, you want to go and plant a church in that particular area. Do you know what happens in that village? Do you know? Do you know what that shaman does? Do you know the, the, the satanic stuff that is happening there? You should stop this. You should, you should run for the hills. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is what I strongly feel. I cannot shake the call to go and preach the gospel in this particular place. But look, you've lost two children within a month. But then he was like, no, I have to do this. I have to do this. So, of course, it is difficult. The eldest daughter is dead. He's now left with two daughters, two middle ones, the, the second and the third born. And so they do the memorial service. They do the burial two days prior to the tent meeting day. So on tent meeting day, he has this huge crusade. He invites people to come. He preaches the gospel. Some become Christians, and he begins to plant a church with them. And he begins to disciple them, and he's discipling them, and he disciples them, teaching them how to do outreach. And as they continue to be a light in this community, guess who becomes a Christian? The shaman. The witch doctor hears the gospel, he hears the vendor's call, come, come and buy with no money, come and buy wine and milk, come. And the witch doctor comes and he meets his savior and Lord and becomes a Christian. And what is more, he now begins to get discipled by this pastor who was discipled by this missionary. And as he's being discipled, he's growing in grace and in the love of the Lord Jesus. Guess who the pastor of that church is today? The shaman. Isn't that an interesting, remarkable story? For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, making it um, bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Lord wanted that village. And many... Many came to know Jesus and our missionary Wellington who is working in Uganda is very much involved in the training of these pastors. This particular pastor, the drunk who became a Christian, who's also discipling this now convert shaman, pastor of this church. And we in some way at Northview, we are kind of involved in that work. 
we do this kind of work because of a verse, a passage like this, where the word of God will not come back void. It will not come back empty. So there's an invitation for people to come and purchase with no money. There's a promise that there'll be a full pardon and mercy for those who would come. There's a plan, and the plan is go proclaim my word and see what will happen. What about the future? What does the future look like here? So Isaiah 55, 12 to 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Now, when we read a verse, like two verses like this, you know, this the tail end of Isaiah 55, this these little two verses don't seem to evoke any sort of emotion, right? Like, it doesn't generate excitement. And so, in many ways, when we're reading this passage, we kind of gloss over it and we move on to other things. It's the same way when we're sharing the gospel. You know, you're talking about creation. Okay, God created all things, and you'll debate, you know, creation versus evolution and all that. You go back and forth. But okay, you say, God created all things. And then we talk about rebellion, you know. Yeah, we are sinners. Man, we are horrible sinners. We talk about that when we share the gospel. And then we talk about redemption. Oh, this one we talk about a lot. What Jesus came to do for us. And we talk about redemption Calling people, this is what Jesus did on the cross. He died for you. You need to repent and come to saving faith. We talk about redemption a ton. And then we come to the restoration or recreation. And this one we don't really talk about a whole ton. We kind of gloss over it. Yet, 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 without this last piece, Without this last piece of the story within the gospel, all other things don't matter. Paul will say in Romans 15, hey, you know what? If Christ was not raised, man, if there is no resurrection, if there's no eternal life, if all that is all for naught, then we are to be pitied. It doesn't really matter. It is pointless if there is no recreation or restoration. So I'll give you an example. Give you an example, a student who goes to university and you're studying, um, most people say, hey, what year are you? What semester are you and all that? When do you graduate? So a student in, in college, you're working so hard with your eye on the finish line. You're looking at graduation day, when you'll be done your studies. And so if you don't graduate, then all this work is off or not, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't really go. Or think of a, of, a, of a couple who are expecting a baby. And so, yes, there's the ups and downs and the in-betweens of pregnancy, the morning sicknesses and all this and the body aches and so on and so forth, the complications even in some cases. But you're always looking forward to the delivery day when the baby will come. So without this delivery day, then it's kind of like, oh, my goodness. So that's why you see the brokenness and the, and the, and the deep devastation when a, when, when a couple loses a child. In pregnancy. It's all for that glorious day. And so for the Christian, all of this is 
it all points this invitation, this promise, and this plan of how it's all going to work, it all culminates to what's going to happen in the future. It all culminates there. There will be joy and peace for those who come, those who hear the vendor saying, come, come and buy with no money. Come and buy. As they are hearing the vendor, those who come, they'll, 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 they'll find joy. They will have joy and peace on that day when Christ will come back and make all things new. The curse that was placed on creation in Genesis chapter 3 because of Adam and Eve's sin and rebellion, that curse will be lifted. That's why verse 13 will say, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. There's a recreation that is happening here. There is a reversal that is taking place. God will make all things new. Let me finish with the words of Revelation 21. I think let's just hear it from John who wrote Revelation. Revelation 21. This is what John says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy hill, new Jerusalem, coming down, um, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Praise God. Verse five. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. What Isaiah is talking about. I'll give without payment. Come and buy. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I'll be his God and he will be my son. And let it be so. Father, we pray that we would heed your word. That Lord, we would, he we would, we would accept your invitation that we would come and buy and eat and live with no money, that we would come and embrace the gospel, that, Lord, we would abandon our wicked ways, and we would abandon our wicked thoughts and turn, come to you. Father, I pray for the one listening today who's who's uh, feeling and hearing your spirit nudging. Lord, would you draw, draw all these individuals, draw us back to you, Lord. We repent for we know that we have not lived our lives in a manner that is worthy and consistent to the gospel 
Lord, as we come, would you grant us grace and mercy as we come? Thank you, Father, for this great invitation that you have extended to us. May we receive it and accept it. In Jesus' name, amen.